Good morning. Hello, my name is Ricky Gray, and uh, I was raised by a single mother in Taylor, Texas, and uh, I grew up in the First Baptist Church in Taylor, Texas. My father, who worked for the railroad, was not present in my life. I may have seen him five times in my entire life, and with the fifth one being at his funeral. At a very young age, I remember praying that if I was ever, when I became an adult, that I would always be there for my children. My teenage years, I started hanging out with older guys that were hippies. Lord knows there are plenty of testimonies during that time period. Thank God for a praying mom. My senior year in high school, my girlfriend and I had a child. And a couple of years later, we got married. During my 20s, we both had good jobs, our 100-year-old dream home, and all the toys and trappings of life. We thought we were living the good life. The problem was, I forgot about God and became a crisis Christian. You know what I'm talking about. When everything's going well, I forgot about God. But when things got tough, I'd be like, I promise you, God, if you get me through this, I'll be back in the church and I'll be serving you every day. Then after two or three weeks, I go back right into the same pattern. Around 1992, I was laid off my job that I had for 19 years. My ex, she was also laid off because she worked for the same company. Later that year, we went through a divorce and I got custody of my kids, an eight-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. I thank God for my mother, brother, a couple of friends, and especially my wife, Laverne, who God blessed me with around 2000. They helped me raise my kids. My daughter went off to college, and, I, and uh, it was just me and my son, Johnson. We were there. After high school, Johnson started college. He went one year, and he moved back home. I was like, okay, but you got to get a job or join the military. You just can't live around here while Vern and I work. He gave me the impression that he was grown now and he could do whatever he wanted to do. So we set a date that I was taking him to join the Air Force or he had to have a job or he had to leave the house. The day came, he had his clothes packed. Vern was waiting for him to come downstairs. He didn't know. But she had told me that she was going to tell him that uh, she was going to talk to me about giving him more time. But before she could get the words out of her mouth, he told her, I'm going to stay with my mom. You know, God has a way of moving obstacles when he's trying to work. Even though she had good intentions, that was not God's path for my son. About a week after he moved out, I heard that he was homeless. Everyone was mad at me. I was asked, what if something happened to him? How are you going to live with that? I could never do that to my child. In my praying, God revealed to me that I had done all that I could do and that he had it. The thing that bothered me during this time period was that I had a peace in my heart and my spirit, that incomprehensible peace, peace that beyond understanding that I can't, that you just can't explain. 
I would go early in the morning during that time period to the hike and bike trail to pray and spend time with God. I was sitting on a bench in the park with my head in my hands looking down. I was not praying. I was just weary, having a pity party and trying to understand why there was peace in my heart and spirit during this ordeal. I looked up and I saw this kid coming across the park. And I was like, that looks like Jonathan. Nah, there's no way that could be him. As it got closer, it was him. He looked rough. It broke my heart. We sat on the bench and talked for about an hour. I don't remember what we talked about. I do remember that I asked him how he was doing and he said, fine. Now, you know your children. And I know that he wasn't doing fine. I wanted so bad to invite him home. But God told me in my spirit, no, this is not about you. Stay out of my way. I told you I got this. I took Johnson to McDonald's, bought him breakfast, and asked him if he wanted, where he wanted me to take him. He said, a friend's house. I dropped him off. Suddenly, I just started crying. I mean, really crying. And God revealed to me, Jonathan's coming home. I went home, I told my wife. And she said, I knew, because he had already revealed it to me. He came back home. He had a different attitude. He found a job within a week and moved out three months later. Now he is happily married with a beautiful family. He has been on his present job for 13 years, and he coached kids on the side. The most important thing is that he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I mentioned to him that I hated that he had to go through this. He said, Dad, that was the best thing you could have done for me at that time. I had only Christ to depend on, and I developed a personal relationship with him. Last week, last week, Pastor Jason, he preached on Lazarus and how after he died, Jesus took two days to get there. And what I've learned over my life is that sometimes God wants to move us out the way and move everything out the way so that when he bless us, we know that it's him and it's only him. Thank God for not forgetting about us when we forget about him. Thank you. Man, I, guys, I want to thank Ricky so much for sharing his story with us. That's, that's raw stuff, right? And uh, when, when he emailed me a story, I was like, all right, Ricky, you sure? Do you want to share this? And uh, he said, yeah. And, and the whole reason is I think it, it tells us, it reminds us that God is always working for good even when we can't see it. You know what I'm saying? God is always working for good even when we can't see it. And so I'm so thankful for his willingness to do that. And that's part of what we're doing here, guys. We're walking through the gospel of John. We're focusing on Jesus's encounters with people. We're studying their stories because they teach us a whole lot about who Jesus is, but also because it reveals a whole lot about who we are, right? And this truth that we all have a story. If we've accepted Christ, we all have a story of of how God has moved. And and remember, we've tied this with Acts 1-8, that command of Jesus. He says, 
You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the call is to, to give our story, to give our witness to this watching world. And so that's what we're doing as we walk through the Gospel of John, focusing on these stories. And uh, last week, we met a woman named Mary. And this week, we are going to focus on her story in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to John chapter 12. I'm going to pray for us as we begin our time here together this morning, and then we will dive in to God's Word, all right? Father, thank you so much for loving us. I look around the room, and I see your hand. I see how you have moved in the lives of marriages and the lives of individuals. I see how you are moving in the lives of those that are battling illness. And God, I say thank you. God, we recognize that sometimes in life it doesn't feel like you're moving. Sometimes in life it doesn't feel like the wind is blowing, but it is. And so God, we say thank you. God, we recognize that you're good. And this morning, instead of choosing to be angry when we don't see you moving, instead we will worship and trust knowing that you are good and you are always at work. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you right now to come and take your place in our church as our teacher and our guide. We pray that you would open our hearts up to the words of Jesus, that you'd set them on fire, and that we would have a desire to leave here looking much more like him than when we walked in. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, Well, guys, we're in John chapter 12, and uh, I'm sorry, we're only going to read eight verses, okay? I know that's disappointing. We have been reading like a chapter. I think last week we read, uh, we we covered a whole chapter and then parts of two other chapters, but we're only going to read eight verses this morning, okay? Uh, I'm sad about that, but uh, they're they're really important eight verses, and then I'll kind of unpack why they're important, and we'll dive into what I think the Lord has for us. And so I'm in John chapter 12, starting in verse uh, 1, and we're going to read through verse 8. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Okay, now Jesus had already been in Bethany. John's about to tell us that, but remember, after the healing of Lazarus, he left Bethany for a period of time. Now he's coming back, and he's coming back at the beginning of Passover week. And so it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner uh, there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary, uh, that's the, the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, well, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. All right? Just eight verses, not a whole chapter. What, what could the Lord have for us in just eight verses? Well, I want to start here with talking about why these eight verses are so important. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because this event is recorded in three of the four Gospels. Now, some think it's recorded in four because there is an anointing of a woman in Luke, okay? But the one that Luke mentions uh, doesn't seem to be the same woman, doesn't seem to be in the same place, and doesn't seem to be at the same time, all right? So evidently, Jesus was anointed a couple times. But this account here in John matches with the account of Matthew and of Mark. And I think three out 
metaphor is pretty good, okay? So it's a pretty important story. It's also important because this event kicks off uh, the most important week at, at, here at the end of Jesus' life. We call it the Passion Week. And it's here in this week that we're going to have the triumphal entry. I don't mean in the week we're actually... Anyway, it's here. The next day happens the triumphal entry, and then there's going to be the cleaning of the temple, and, and Jesus is going to be questions about things, and, and then there's, there's going to be the Passover meal, uh, there's going to be the betrayal, uh, praying in the garden. I mean, all this stuff is going to happen. Ultimately, the cross and the resurrection. This week, uh, this Passion Week is coming, and, and this week, which is hugely important to our Christian faith, is all kicked off right here with Mary anointing Jesus at Bethany. And so it, it's a big deal. Also, according to uh, Matthew and Mark, it, it is directly after this event that Jews, Judas decides to betray Jesus. So this happens. Mary, Mary, uh, as we'll talk about, loves Jesus extravagantly. And, and something happens. And Judas is like, I'm out. And, and Judas, after this event, is going to go sell out Jesus to the chief priest, make a deal, and uh, really a deal with the devil. And all that's going to happen, and it all gets kicked off with this one event. So with that in mind, I, I want to share with you three things I think this text shows us. And the first one is probably of the greatest importance, and it's this, guys. Jesus is worthy of our very best. Jesus is worthy of our very best. So Jesus is back in Bethany, right? And, and the last time was here, uh, he was here, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Kind of a big deal, right? He was dead, he was really dead, he was four days dead, he was, he's according to his sister, he was stinky dead. Jesus is like, come out, he comes out, he's fully alive, and it's kind of a big deal. And then Jesus leaves, now he comes back, and they're like, hello, gonna celebrate this, right? You left before we could have a party, now we're having a party, you are the, 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 the chief guest, right? You're, you're the most important person here, and then uh, along with Lazarus, of course, and so the celebration, Jesus is the guest of honor, Lazarus is kind of the, the next guest of honor, because he was dead, now he's alive, so he's reclining at the table next to Jesus. Now, we find Martha doing what Martha does, right? Where is Martha? She is serving. She is working. That's what she's doing. Where do we find Mary? We find Mary in the place that Mary always is. She's at the feet of Jesus, and you may remember uh, that there's another occasion that Jesus comes to their house, and Martha's busy preparing a meal, and, and and she's yelling at her younger sister, like, Mary, get in here and help me. And then, and then she doesn't listen. Mary's just soaking in Jesus. And, and, and so finally Martha's like, Jesus, you tell her to come help me. And he's like, silence, woman. She's doing what's best. Um, and so, you know, like we find Mary here at the feet of Jesus. We studied last week when, when Jesus comes, uh, four days, Lazarus has been dead. He comes into town. First Martha meets him. If you were here. And then Martha goes back to where Mary is. Mary runs. And what does she do? She falls at the feet of Jesus. And then she says, Lord, if you had been here. And so when we find Mary, she's kind of at the feet of Jesus. Just file that away. And so we've got Martha, we've got Mary, and we've got Lazarus. And Warren Wiersbe, a great Bible commentator, said, you know, what an example this family is. Martha teaches us how to work for the Lord. Mary teaches us how to worship the Lord. And Lazarus teaches us how to be a witness for the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Just like, wow, that's good. And plus, he uses alliteration better than me. So, uh, Good stuff, good stuff. And so that's what's going on. There's this big feast, this big celebration. And so as Jesus is reclining at the table, which they would typically do, if it's a low table, they sit with their feet kind of in the back. I'm not gonna get down because I may not get back up. So feet are in the back. Uh, Mary comes to uh, his feet and she begins to anoint him. But this is really unusual because she doesn't just anoint him with a little bit of oil. She takes her most prized possession, 
Uh, it's, it's pure perfume, according to the text, and it was taken from the nard plant, taken from the root and from the spike of a plant called nard, which is weird, because it only grows up in the mountains in northern India. And this stuff had to be imported at great cost. Uh, by the time they would, they would grind this stuff together, it made a rose red color oil uh, that, that in, a, in a pure form. Now, now, guys, I'm not talking eau de toilette, okay? I'm talking, I'm talking in a pure form. This is the expensive business, right? And so she takes this entire, uh, it, it's called a couple things. It's called a pound because it weighed just under a pound. It was called a pint because that pound fit into a pint. And she takes the entire thing and she breaks it and she anoints the head and the feet of Jesus. You say, why do you say head and feet? Well, because Matthew's account says head and feet. Our account just focuses on the feet. But the point is, is not necessarily what, what happens or what part gets anointed first. The point is she uses it all. The point is she uses every single ounce of it. That's why Judas is upset. Right? That's why Judas is upset. And so she takes this entire thing and, and she breaks it and, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. And the point, she uses all of this and, and this pure pipe of perfume because she is preparing Jesus for what's to come. And she's the only one in the room that gets it. All right? When she didn't notice, all the other people around Jesus, they've said things, well, let's go die with him, all those kinds. But, but Mary here is doing something. She's recognized something is about to happen. I'm giving the Lord my best. And, and so, so this, is, this little interaction that we have here is, is really important. And so you say, how, how is that possible that Mary could get something that the disciples didn't? I don't know. I'd say maybe the other people in the room needed to spend a little more time at the feet of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, so she spent this time at the feet of Jesus. And the text says this. It says, when she gets to his feet... She, she anoints his feet. She pours this pure perfume all over his feet, dripping all over. This wasn't just like some, some anointing oil. It, it's a sloppy mess. And so then she really does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair, which is a no-no in Jewish customs. Like you wouldn't, if you let down your hair in public like this, it's saying you're a loose woman, okay? You're a woman with loose morals. And so she lets down her hair. She doesn't care who is there. She's focused solely on the Lord. And she begins to wipe uh, his feet and, and, and the mess around him with her hair. And, and, and the Bible says, and the smell of that sweet aroma of perfume filled the entire home. Now, I don't know if you like to think when you read the Bible. I think it's important too. When I think about a pound of pure perfume. I mean, guys, if I go more than two squirts, my wife is like, you're killing me. You know what I'm saying? A pound of pure perfume poured all over Jesus and says the whole house is is filled with the aroma. And, And listen to me, I'm just dumb enough to believe that the very next day, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, which don't smell too good, as the dust is flying everywhere and the palm branches are being cut down and laid, as Jesus walks by, I believe that there are people in the crowd that after he passed, instead of smelling donkey, they were going, wow, that smells beautiful. I wonder if that's where Paul eventually grabbed that little phrase from 2 Corinthians, the aroma of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Just this one act of this one woman is such a big deal. 
It's such a big deal. But I, I want to see, I want you to see how, how, this, how this act is received by the others there, okay? And so, so just watch this. I'm in verse 4. It says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Well, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, of course, it goes on. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor because he was taking money. But here's the deal. If you read the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, Judas was not the only one objecting to this act of worship. The other disciples kind of had a problem with it too. And so I just thought I'd sum up their argument for you this morning because I think when we, we make it simpler and plainer, when we remove what they're saying and just kind of see the heart of it, it shows us something about ourselves. Because here is the argument. Basically, they're saying to Mary, you have wasted a year's worth of wages on Jesus. Now remove all the stuff in between there and just think of, You have wasted something on Jesus. Does that make sense at all? Now, it gets worse because the second half of the argument is this, ready? Not only have you wasted a year's worth of wages on Jesus, but the second half of the argument is worse, is is this, right? There there could, uh, this could have been used, this money could have been used, get this, ready? For something better. (laughs) Something better than Jesus, just see kind of what's being said. I want you to look at Jesus' response here, verse 7 and 8. He says, leave her alone. Now, I don't, I don't know if y'all have rules about words that you say and phrases you say in our house. We do kind of do with the kids. There's certain things you're not supposed to say. One of them, the nice version of it is be quiet. Right? Just saying, the nice version is be quiet. And Jesus is like, be quiet. Right? You need to be quiet. You need to be quiet now. He's like, you need to be quiet. and get this. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And, and, and my interpretation of this, guys, is that basically Jesus, leave her alone, right? She's the only one that understands the magnitude of this moment. She's the only one that gets what's about to go down. Mary is the only one that fully understands this is the last week that I'm here, that I'm about to give my life for you. She's the only one that has firmly grasped it. And and listen, she ain't wasting it. Now, in the end of this sermon, we're going to talk about what this means for us. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have expensive perfume in my house to come bring to the Lord. So what does is, what is our very best look like? We're going to talk about that. Here's what I'm going to tell you up front. Whatever that is identified as, whether that's your time, your talent, or your treasure, whatever you identify, hey, this is my best. This is the best I can give to the Lord. I'm just tell you, no matter what the world says, if you give it to the Lord, it's not a waste. Okay? Okay? That's what Jesus says to Mary. He looks at Mary's defends her in front of these people. You're not wasting it, darling. You're not wasting it. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Listen, Jesus is worthy of our very best. Here's the second thing, all right? Now, if we give him our very best, there's gonna be some problems. So I want you to see, here's the second point, all right? True worship is often misunderstood, right? True worship is often misunderstood. And I don't want you to miss it. This is an act of worship. That's what Mary is doing. Mary is worshiping God here. She's bringing her best to the Lord. And not only is she bringing her best to the Lord, she's also uh, becoming undignified for the Lord's sake. 
say, what do, you, what do you mean? Again, culturally, you could not as a woman do this. You, you should not as a woman do this. Take down your hair. People are going to talk about you if you do this, right? That's what's going to happen. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're loose. I mean, all this stuff. Like Rumors are about to start, Mary, with what happened. Yet Mary does this, and she does it because she does not care about the crowd. She cares about the Christ. You follow me? She is not here for the crowd. She's here for the Christ. And in her focus and adoration on Jesus, she's willing to become a little undignified in other people's eyes. It reminds me of King David. You guys remember that? King David is bringing the ark back into Jerusalem and, and he's not just sitting up in, in, a, in, in a chariot kind of in the back just you know, looking all dignified. Oh yeah, look what I've done. I'm bringing back the ark. Yay me. He is down on the ground with the slave girls half naked dancing before the Lord, right? And, and his wife didn't think too highly of that. His wife was, was going, hey, listen, I come from a good line, and you look like a fool down there. And so his wife kind of says to David, listen, you're the king of Israel. You can't act like that. You can't dance half naked before the entire nation. Who do you think you are? And his response, which I love, is I wasn't dancing half naked in front of the nation. I was dancing half naked before God. I was worshiping God. Here's his response, 2 Samuel 6, 22. He says this, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these girls that you speak of, they're gonna hold me in honor because they know that I love God. Because they know that I love God. Listen, I had a friend uh, in Borger. Uh, he was actually the father of our best friends there and his name is uh, Robbie. And man, you, you kind of got to get to know Robbie. Robbie is an awesome guy. He is one of the most gentle men you will ever meet. Uh, but Robbie has been changed by Jesus. You see, Robbie used to be a rage monster. I mean, rage, overfilling, like uh, stories of throwing things at people, like, like hammers and wrenches, missing people's heads by just a couple inches by the grace of God. I mean, a rage monster. But you see, Jesus got a hold of Robbie. And Jesus changed that man. So if you were to meet Robbie today, and if he were worshiping with us on Sunday, you would have seen uh, that while we were singing songs in the comfort of our pews, he would probably be up on one of these altars, laid out before God, weeping. And every time you worship, Robbie just begins to weep and to cry. And, 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 and the reason why is because he knows who he was and he knows what God has done for him. And he's like, there's no way that God should love me, Jason. There is no way that God, but God is so good. God broke into my life with all the anger and all the pent-up rage and all the hatred in my heart. And he set me free. And I cannot hold that in. And every Sunday, Robbie would be forward. Not, not during the invitation, brother. He'd be forward during the song set. And he'd be down here weeping. And man, I'm going to tell you how other people would respond. They would talk, they would whisper, they would gossip. Oh, look how weird that guy is down there. That guy that's always, they had no clue what God had done in his life. They had no clue. Listen to me. Jesus is worthy of your very best. He deserves it. But if you get to a point that you're willing 
to be raw enough before others that you're willing to get to that undignified space when it comes to worship, that you'll walk through doors like this on a Sunday morning and say, I don't care who's to my left or who's to my right. That is not my audience. I don't care who's behind me. I don't care who's in front of me. This is about me and Jesus. And when you get to that spot and you begin to freely give yourself to the Lord and worship, somebody's going to look at you and say, that ain't right. Somebody's going to look at you and say, well, they're just a little too much for me with that hand raising and that crying and that weepy business. Because people will always misunderstand extravagant love and worship. It's going to happen. So what I'm telling you, you got to get there. Right? Jesus is worthy of it, but as the Spirit starts to work and you starts calling you to get out of your comfort zone, the immediate thing, like, here's the warning, because when you do, the attacks will come. They attacked Mary. They'll attack you too. And look at that guy. I don't understand. He used to be so buttoned up and now he's all crazy and his hands are raised and he's singing at the top of his lungs and he can't sing. What is that guy? Yeah. That guy's in love with Jesus. That's that guy. That guy's life was forever changing. He can't hold it in. That's that guy. So come to me. Come to me with your gossip. Let me tell you their story. Because you probably need to hear it, all right? Third thing. Last thing. Last thing. Extravagant love is not easy to forget. Extravagant love is not easy to uh, forget. By the way, the crowd's response, you know what it should have been? Was such an extravagant gift. You know what it should have been? Awe. Just walk through that. that, that 300 denarii, that's a year's worth of wages. Uh, it's uh, income tax time. How, how many of you have filed yet? Anybody? God bless you guys. How many of you are in the process? That means like the 15th isn't here yet. Cut me some slack. All right. You know, when you do your taxes, you take that amount on your W-2 and any 1099s, and you got to total that. So if you just wanted to put this story into context, just take that number and just assume that's what Mary gave. A year's worth. I I don't know many people that have a year's worth of savings. God bless you if you do. But that would be the the equivalent to take a year's worth of savings and bring it before the Lord. Maybe it's a, 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 a possession. My wife and I were talking during, during our brunch. I have one thing from my dad. It's this watch. It's one thing. I wear it every Sunday. It's, it's, it's a watch, right? It's a one thing. Would you give it the one thing? Yeah, you know, that's, that's the call. Okay, so just think through this. Last thing, extravagant love is not easy to forget. Um, like I said at the beginning, this, this, this act is recorded in three of the four Gospels. And so it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And I love uh, what Jesus says about it. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 26 real quick, okay? Uh, let's read a little bit more of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 12. And I want you to hear what Jesus says about this event. Actually, I'll start in verse 11, just because it gives us a little context. We will pick up where our verse left off. So Matthew 26, starting in verse 11. And it says this, uh, you always have the poor with you, Jesus is speaking, but you do not always have me. That's where we ended up. So verse 12, now let's carry on. He says this, by pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Ready? Verse 13, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wherever this gospel is preached in the entire world, Jesus says, this act of true worship, 
This extravagant gift will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. That's what we're doing this morning. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal, right? That's what Mary did. She gave extravagantly and, and it, like, it, it was remembered. People remembered it. People were changed by it. Jesus' generations are gonna hear about this. Uh, you know, the first time I experienced people like this that, that, that love God um, extravagantly in my book, uh, I was 19 years old. So I, uh, I had just come home from college. I was in a little phase of rebellion and had decided I was going to come home and party and drink and do all that kind of stuff. And one night I was sitting on my driveway and a friend uh, drove by that was in my kindergarten class said, hey, you need to get in. We're going to this thing. And I was like, ah, I know some of you've heard this story, but I was like, ah. So he pulls up. Uh, I get in with him. He pulls into a church parking lot. I cuss him out. And then we walk into uh, what is evidently a Bible study, right? And uh, all college kids. And it was just, it was just weird. It was just weird. So I, I want to walk you through this. I wasn't raised in church. My grandmother uh, was a member at the uh, Lake City uh, First United Methodist Church. And so when I grew up, she would take me occasionally to church. I think I went to Sunday school like three times because I got a Bible for a promotion Sunday at some point that I left in the room uh, with Miss Harrell, who was the Sunday school teacher. She was later my physics teacher in high school, and she gave me the Bible, which I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I never read it. Um, so, but, but it was really sweet of her to do that, right? And so I, I had some limits. So my church experience was this. It was kind of pews. It was just kind of people. Uh, they sang songs. Like nothing was really that special about it in my mind. The pastor would call you down, sometimes give you candy as he told you a story. That was about it, right? And so I, I didn't really remember a whole lot from church. But the moment that I walked in this place, I knew that it was instantly different. Because this place wasn't like church. It wasn't like a bunch of people that had drank vinegar, you know. It was, it was, it was different. Uh, when I walked in this place, everybody was, was, was so nice, right? They were so friendly. I'm not trying to knock church folks, okay? I'm just saying I was a waiter. Any of you wait tables? Come on. Worst day to work. Which, which day was it? Sunday. Sunday! Worst day to work in the history of waiting tables. You know why? Because the meanest people you encounter are Sunday. These people just came from the most joyous place in the world, worshiping the God who saved them from their sin, and they sit down there like, where's my fork? I said I didn't want any cheese on that. I'm going to give you $2, even though I spent 60 like, what is wrong with... I, 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 I'm going to be honest. When I waited tables, I hated working on Sunday. I wanted to work Friday night in the smoking section where all the sinners were because they were nice. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I like, drank two bottles of wine, ordered 15 appetizers, gave me a $100 tip, right? I'm just, I'm just... Like, those are the people I wanted to work for. And Christians were just never that nice, right? Just being honest. And so I walked into this place. I just, I'm, I'm just setting the stage. And these... Every person in the room... Gave me a hug and greeted every person. And, and, then, and then we began this worship thing, which was weird, because the people came up on stage, and, and they didn't have any shoes on, which I thought was weird. Because I thought in church you're supposed to look like this, right? But we just talked about David being undignified before the Lord. So I've been waiting on that for a while. Um, and so they come in, and here they are, and they're wearing no shoes, and some guy's playing a drum that he is holding between his legs. I, I didn't know what it's called, the djembe, I learned, right? He's playing this, and somebody's playing a guitar, and, and, it, and it's awesome. But here's the thing that caught me. When they sang songs, not a single person in, in the pew, not like 90 people there, not a single person did this. Not one. 
There's not a person in the room that, that was thinking, oh, they, yeah, I'm going to think through this. Like, like these people didn't sing from up here. They weren't singing. They were singing from, yeah, like from place down deep. And you look around and they all expressed it different. Like some of them are like, oh, Jesus. I mean, and I'm not like, it wasn't a Pentecostal celebration. I mean, like they're just, oh, Jesus, I love you. I need you. Some people are on the altar and they're crying. They're going, oh my God. Some people are, are singing and all of a sudden they're praying. Every single person is not singing from here, but they're singing from something deep inside. And I immediately, dude, these people all have something I don't have. And from, I've never forgot the first moment of that experience because I walked into a place that I saw people extravagantly love God and I knew that they loved God more than I did. And so I had this thought this week as I was praying through this message. If somebody walked through the doors today and they sat next to you during worship, what would they think about God? Would they think that God is worthy of your very best? Or would they think that this is just religion and you're supposed to come and keep your hand in your pockets? You follow me? If we, and hear me, I think it's the call of scripture. If we can move beyond caring what other people think. If we, like Mary, can just focus on Jesus and extravagantly loving him. If like David, we're willing to be just a little undignified for the Lord's sake, not for show, not for anybody to my left, not for anybody to my right, not for the people in front of me or behind me, but just for the sake of Christ, we would really give him everything he deserves. Then what would people think if they were in our midst? And I just have to believe if we get to be those kind of people, this community is going to change. This community's gonna, you know why? Because love like that is not easy to forget, all right? So what do you do with this? How do you unpack it? I'll just send you home with a little bow, all right? Number one, here's the challenge. You have to give the Lord your best. So here, here was, uh, we, we talk about this during staff. I'm like, hey, here's what I'm gonna preach on. This is what I'm gonna talk about. And then they give me all the problems with it. I don't know, that could be, what are you gonna say here? Blah, 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 blah. And I have to think through, it's great. Iron sharpening iron kind of thing. And so the question was, well, what does that look like for us? Like, I, I don't know anybody that has an $80,000 perfume sitting up on, okay, I'm gonna go bring 80 grand. I'm just gonna, like, I, would, it, by the way, I, I, I smell sometimes. I don't think I smell that bad. Like, but I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And so the question is, what, what is our very best? What does that look like? And we kind of went back to the three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. Right, time, talent, and treasure. So let's start with time. What is giving God your very best? Look like? I don't know about you, but, but choice, USDA, uh, uh, top sirloin uh, steak is Sunday morning, amen? Because <laughs> right? I worked my butt off Monday through Friday. Saturday, I had to clean up around the house and get the yard right and wash the truck, and I'm tired today. And so, so, so the first place that we, by the way, we don't, we don't wash the truck. Uh, my father always washed the truck. I'm going to wash it. Don't even know, but there you go. So that's what you do on Saturday. You wash the truck. And, and, and so, so come Sunday, we are tired. And what I am telling you is I don't care if you are tired. Jesus deserves your best, right? Which means that we have to take our calendars and we have to readjust some things in our life to say, God, you're my priority, not the other stuff. And, and stuff is going to try to sneak in. That's what it does, right? If the devil can't make you jump into massive sin, he's just going to keep you busy. 
And, and, and so, so my challenge to people every time we get to this, I say, get out your phone. Just get it out. Go to the calendar right now and set a repeating alarm every morning, 6 a.m., get up on Sunday. Say, 6 a.m., that's early. Why 6 a.m.? Well, okay, just a few things. Uh, I think if you get up at 6, you can get the coffee done, you can get the kids dressed, you can fight and repent before you show up at church. You know what I'm saying? Like you just have the argument over breakfast. Go, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Repent, pray, come ready to worship. Instead of walking in like, oh, I don't even like this person. Yeah, I see you guys, right? I mean, we do communion. I'm like, listen, if you've got, if you're holding any sin in your heart against anybody, you need to confess that right now. Every husband and wife, I'm so sorry about this morning. Just, just take this, we're good. That's what happens. So you got to give God your very best. So, so here's the deal. I'll share this with you, and, and you guys may not like it. You may, like, reject this later on in life. Um, but a few years ago, God began kind of giving uh, me the vision of, of where, what this church was going to be someday. And God was very specific in what it would look like and what it would take and the investment that would take. And, and I, I just felt the Lord saying, okay, so here's the cost. Jason, it's going to cost you all of your prime years of ministry to do this one thing. That's the cost. Are you down? Right? And so I, I just said yes to the Lord. Now, you guys at some point may be like, no, we're done with that dude. Out of here, right? But, but I, I, I just believe, like, that's God's call is I want you to give me your very best, which means the best preaching I will ever do, the best shepherding I will ever do, the best loving I will ever do, the best leading I will ever do needs to be with this community of people in this city. And God said, that's what I want. I want your very best. And so when it comes to your time, I'm just asking, what is your very best? right? Because for some of you, it's a time issue, all right? Now, for others, it's a talent issue because your time is like booked up, um, but you got some talent, right? I, I think about Randy. Um, do you guys have any clue how talented Randy is on the guitar? That, now, now, listen, you think he's good here. Here he is playing like with a kindergarten strap limited. He, we play five keys in, five chords in church, right? We do not play a lot of stuff in church. Like this dude scales and all over the map, and, and, yet, and yet he takes that talent he takes his very best and he brings it here and dumbs it down for our sake, right? Every Sunday, even though his wife, right, as we speak, is preparing to go and be the presence of the Lord. Every Sunday, he is here serving the body of Christ. I just think, what talent, right? And some of you, that's you. I look around the crowd. You guys are so talented. You're, you're smart and you, some of you are great at finance and some of you are just really good with your hands. And like, I know some of you that are, I, I swear, like you were MacGyver before it was a TV show. Man. You can just make something out of nothing. God bless you, right? And, and so what I'm saying is like, you have to give God that. Whatever your best is, you just have to give him that talent. But for some, it's going to be a little more like Mary. There's a treasure. For some it's treasure. We have some people in our church, and, and I, I don't know why, the Lord, but the Lord does this throughout the history of mankind. We just have some people in our church that God has just blessed them with great financial minds. Man, they know when to invest, when to pull out, who to call, what to do. I'm just like, you guys are awesome. Can I come sit? And better yet, could you take my money and just handle that? Because like, that'd be awesome. And so if that's you, again, what is the call? God, here's my very best. Here's my very best. This is, this is my treasure. I'm going to give to you... Uh, my very best. I'm going to let you do what you see put with it. And so what, what I'm telling you guys is when it comes to the fact that Jesus is worthy of our very best, you just have to figure out what that is. And you've got to be willing to give that to him, okay? So we start there. Here's the second um, thing. I think this is the last thing I have for you. We'll be done. Wrap it up. Is that we have to learn to lose ourselves in the Lord. Um, we have to learn to lose ourselves in the Lord. Um, worship, not about who's to your left or your right. 
It's not about who's behind you or who's watching you or who's looking at you. Um, church is not about those things. It's just not. I mean, I mean, church is a gathering of believers that show up for one purpose, and that's to glorify God. And so lots of other things happen when we show up with a purpose to glorify God. Like this morning, we get to fellowship, we get to love on one another, we get to encourage. But ultimately, what we do here, like that's not what it's about. That's a portion of, but what we do here, we come to glorify God. That means to give God the glory and the honor that he's due. That's what to glorify God means. Okay, so if you're going to glorify God and you're gonna give him the honor that he's due, what honor is he due? Your very best, that's what he's due. God, it should not be due like our, our, our ho-hums, right? Come on, and God, I wish I could be like Mary, right? I mean, there are times I'm like, Lord, I wish that there weren't occasions that I show up and I'm not thinking somebody behind me is watching me. I better sing loud, right? Or, or if, I, if I go to the altar right now, everybody's gonna think the pastor's just emotionally messed up and he's the greatest. Like, I, I mean, there are times I have those thoughts. I wish I didn't, but I'm just saying I, I get it. I know you have those same thoughts too, but here's the point. We gotta move past that. We gotta move beyond that and decide, listen, when we come here, and one of the reasons, by the way, that we've been kind of turning the lights down low when we sing is to encourage that. That you would stop thinking, well, Sally's to my right. I know that she's going to talk to Sarah, and then Sarah's going to say, well, didn't you know that they're having marital problems? Who cares? Sally and Sarah can't fix your marriage, but Jesus can. You following me? Like, this is where you need to be. Not back there wondering what somebody's going to think if you come here. And we've got to free each other up for that. And so this morning, we're going to do something different. Um, we're actually going to put the message into action. And so um, prepare yourselves to get uncomfortable. Um, can we do the light thing? Can we do the lights? Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're going to do the light thing. And then I'm going to read to you this song that we're going to sing because I don't want you guys going, I don't know this song. I can't sing it. Well, I'm going to go through the lyrics so you know the song, okay? All right, so I'm going to go through the lyrics and we're going to actually worship. Uh, but it's a song, it was written a while back by Gateway Worship, uh, which Carrie Job kind of came out of that if you know a little Carrie Job action. Um, but, uh, but it's about this story. It's about this story, and it's going to be really cool. Pray with me, and then, and then let's walk through this together. Father, um, we, want to, we, we, we want to come before you right now and just say, God, we stink at this. This whole being undignified uh, before you, God, thing, that, that makes me uncomfortable at times. I know it makes these people uncomfortable. I know we've been raised in churches and in cultures where we were told we had to do things a certain way. Man, those people that raise their hands, they're crazy. Those people that come to the altar, they're messed up. Right? So we kind of have all these thoughts and the truth is, God, we're a wreck and we need you. And, and the truth is, more than us needing you, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. You are worthy of so much more than me going through the motions, God. You're worthy, not of me thinking about words or thinking about what somebody else is thinking, but you are worthy of my very life because you laid down yours. And I don't want to be the other guys in the room anymore. I want to be the guy at your feet that gets it and doesn't give a rip about anyone else in the room. God, I want to be the guy that loves you so much that I don't care about the gossip and the slander that will occur when I love you with everything that I have. God, I pray you would raise us up as a village of people like that. Like, like of, of people that when you walk in this place, it's almost foreign how much these people love God. And when people step into this, this place, and, and this place ain't the church, God. These people are. But when we gather, and people walk in, strangers walk in to this fellowship, they are like, I got to take off my shoes because I know this place is holy. 
God, we need you to do that in us. For God, God, for some of us, it has been so long since we've let go, since we've been willing to get a little undignified in your presence. God, forgive us of holding on so tightly. Help us just let go this morning. Just love you this morning. Just give you the honor and the worship and the praise you're due. In Jesus' name, amen. So hear the lyrics. It says, this alabaster jar, it's all I have of worth. I break it at your feet, Lord. Get this, ready? It is less than you deserve. Just tell you what we're gonna do in a second. What I'm gonna ask you to make part of your lifestyle. Giving God your very best. Hear me. That is still less than he deserves. Okay? It's less than you deserve. Ready? You're far more beautiful, more precious than the oil, the sum of my desires, and you are the fullness of my joy. Like you spilled your blood, I'll spill my heart as an offering to my king. And then it says this, here I am, take me as an offering. Here I am giving every heartbeat for your glory, take me me okay that's gonna be our prayer man it's gonna become our our prayer we're just gonna let it raise up to the heavens God would you just receive this from us as a sacrifice and here's the key dude I know you gotta look at some words I know there's gonna be some people in the side view whatever it ain't there you and the Lord and I want you to give him the glory you feel like he's due and for some of you that means you gotta get out of your seat you need to just come and, and kneel and pray awesome do that had somebody in the first service, they were just weeping, just laying out, just weeping. Awesome, do that. Whatever you need to do. I saw some people in the first service, they're like, I feel like I'm supposed to raise my hand. They've never done it before in church. I thought they had a question. I don't know. It was awesome. It was awesome. It's great. Whatever the Lord puts on you, you got to give him the honor he's due. Okay, so we're gonna sing this song. I'm gonna ask you to stand now. You gotta stand. You gotta get unglued. Unglued, stuff happens. Unglued, all right? Shake it out if you need to. Shake it out. That's fine. Okay? Guys, do not go through the motions of this. Do not go through the motions of this. The invitation is to let the Lord have you. Give him what he deserves. Let's do that now, okay? Oh, not just every Sunday. Every day we pray. Every day, would you let us live like that? Every day. Unabashed for your glory. Unashamed of who you are. Unashamed of our love for you. God help us. God help us in Jesus' name.